Hi, this is Julie, otherwise known as Jules, talking to you today from um, my cottage in the Laurentians where I've brought my parents here uh, amidst the COVID-19 epidemic. And they're seniors, um, elderly, and hopefully by being here, we can uh, make sure that they stay safe. I hope everybody else is staying safe too. And it's a little bit uh, what I wanted to discuss with you today. Um, this podcast is called Stake Your Claim. And staking your claim um, was one way the persons during the gold rush era would let others know that this piece of land that they found was theirs to keep, and they would go gold mining at this point. Um, staking a claim with jewels aims to provide some information, some insights, and answers, some um, how to do this for ourselves, to stake a claim for yourself. Um, self being the word of most importance here. And it's the ultimate challenge, I think, in these times. Um, I'm a, a special care counselor. I'm a fellow staker, meaning that I look to stake a claim in myself on a daily basis. So I wanted to talk about uh, living with worry and anxiety um, in these times of the COVID-19. I know you probably have heard so much on the news, and if you have to hear some more, you'll, you know, drop, drop over and be sick. Well, I hope that doesn't happen, but I hope that I can inspire you uh, to talk about ways that, you know, what is worry and what does it feel like and what triggers worry and, and anxiety and different types of worry? So, and when does worry become a problem? And what you can do about worry, which is through mindfulness. Um, today, I'm going to focus more on mindfulness and communication, seeing as we're all cooped up here with our loved ones, loved ones, loved ones, children, parents. Um, you know, and so communication is so important, but mindfulness, you know, mindfulness, think about it as like pinching yourself. And when you pinch yourself, you feel pain. Well, being mindful is being in touch with, oh, I feel pain. Okay. So let's get at it. And, uh, we're going to talk. First thing we're going to talk about is worry. So what is worry? So we have uh, this incredible talent of thinking about future events, you know, thinking ahead and we anticipate problems and obstacles. And sometimes there's a positive, you know, twist to it, which gives us the opportunity to plan ahead and to uh, plan for solutions, right? 
And then it helps us to achieve our goals. So thinking ahead can be helpful. Um, so example, in this COVID-19, uh, if we hand wash and do social distancing, then these are helpful things that can prevent the spread of the virus, right? Okay, so, but worrying is a way of thinking ahead, uh, but that often leaves us uh, anxious or apprehensive. So when we worry too much, uh, we often think about what are the worst case scenarios and feel that we won't be able to cope. And a lot of people uh, that I've spoken to have said, well, what happens, you know, if I get the COVID-19 or I think I've had COVID-19 or, uh, you know, so they're paranoid and so frightened of this of this phenomenon, of this pandemic, and who wouldn't be when ultimately the uh, end result could be death. Okay, so what does worry feel like? So if you felt like, example, if you thought about a chain, okay, so if you had a chain of thoughts and images, and so it could be catastrophic um, and uncontrollable and take a life of its own, right? And then we can think about uh, sometimes the worst case scenarios. So worries can escalate, sorry, quick, quite quickly and from something re relatively minor to something, you know, like I'm going to die. So have you noticed any thoughts like that? So from, you know, I have a headache to what is the COVID-19 and maybe I passed it on to everyone at work yesterday or, uh, or the people in my home after going to the grocery store and, or everyone will pass it on and die. And then we imagine an apocalypse and losing everyone who, you know, and love, etc. It's okay. So that's kind of like a chain, a worry chain, right? Okay, and so worry is not only in our heads and it can become excessive when we feel it is anxiety in our bodies. Okay, so physical symptoms of worry and anxiety include, right, muscle tension, aches and pains. Yes, you can get muscle tension that gives you aches and pains that have nothing to do with flu-like symptoms. Restlessness and an inability to relax. Difficulty concentrating, right? Can't get through that book, can't get through that magazine, can't concentrate on the movie. Difficulty sleeping, that's a big one. And also feeling easily fatigued, right? Because you're exhausted from thinking and overthinking. So let's talk about triggers of worry and anxiety. So because anything can necessarily be a trigger for worry, okay? So it, even when things go right, we might manage to think ourselves, but if, if it all falls apart, right? So what happens now if I'm healthy and I've been healthy for three weeks and suddenly I'm not going to be healthy anymore, Okay. So there are particular situations where worry becomes even more common. And some strong triggers for worry are situations that are ambiguous, 
Okay. So open to different interpretation. Um, triggers such as novel and new. Okay. So we don't have any experience to fall back on. It's novel and new. Unpredictable. It's unclear how things will turn out. So those can be triggers. And does that sound familiar at this moment? Okay, so right now the health situation um, in, uh, in the world essentially is all about these triggers. So is it unusual uh, that a situation with such uncertainty can naturally lead us to worry and feel anxious? Absolutely. Are there different types of worries? There are. And uh, essentially, people uh, such as psychologists will distinguish between worries that concern real problems versus hypothetical problems. All right. So real problems are actual problems that need solutions right now. Okay. So, for example, given the very real concern about the virus at the moment, there are helpful uh, solutions which include regular hand washing, social distancing, and physical isolation if you have symptoms. Hypothetical worries about the current health crisis might include thinking about worst-case scenarios, what we call catastrophizing. So, for example, imagining worst-case scenarios such as most people dying. Okay. Um, when does worry become a problem? Everyone worries to some degree, and some thinking ahead can help us to plan and cope. So there's no right amount of worry. We say that worry becomes a problem when it stops you from living the life you want to live or if it leaves you feeling demoralized and exhausted. All right? So there's on, what, on a scale, on a scale not from 0 to 10, but let's just say a continuum of normal worry to the left and excessive worry to the right. And anywhere on that is a spectrum, a spectrum of normal worry to excessive worry, where, you know, help gets you to what you want. Help uh, helps you to solve problems in your life, right? Normal worry. How about excessive worry? Leaves you feeling demoralized, upset or exhausted and gets in the way of living the life you want to lead. Okay, so that is the, um, <clears throat> the scale between normal worry and excessive worry. What can you do about worry? So it's natural for you to worry at this moment, but if you feel that it's becoming excessive and taking over your life, for example, if it makes you anxious or if you're struggling to sleep, then it might be worth you know, find ways to limit the time you spend worrying and taking steps to manage your well-being. Um, in the next section, what I'm going to do is to look at um, an exercise on mindfulness and communication that might be uh, a good tool for you to use when you're communicating with other people and and it will help to maintain well-being and manage worry, okay? Of course, what can you do about worry is to maintain balance in your life. 
okay? So what can we do about that? So it comes from living a life with balance of activities that give you feelings of pleasure, achievement, and closeness, right? Also, try to practice identifying whether your worry is a real problem, worry, or hypothetical worry. So if we <clears throat> look at the spectrum of normal worry and excessive worry, try to find where yours fits on this. Also, practice postponing your worry. Okay, so worry is insistent, and it can make you feel as though you have to engage with it right now. Okay, I mean, one of my philosophies is, no, it's, there's not an emergency. Um, I don't need to, to worry about this right now. I can worry later, okay? Um, the other thing, too, is speak to yourself with compassion. That is a huge challenge. So speaking to yourself with compassion. So we, what we want to try to do is... Um, a tradition, it's a traditional cognitive behavioral technique for negative and anxious or upsetting thoughts. Um, and being compassionate is, is trying to look at what you're anxious or worrying about and then look at it with kindness and compassion. Like your best friend, if you're telling your best friend about it, how would they react to it is the kind of way that you should try to react to yourself. And practicing mindfulness. So there's our tool. And our tools are um, mindfulness and communication. How can we do that? First thing, listen. So when we're in conflict, uh, we aim to listen to the other person first. and increases the chances that they will be willing to listen to us. Right? If somebody doesn't feel you're listening to them, forget about it. Notice. Try to attend to your own reactivity by noticing the rise of activation and supporting the calm of deactivation. It can help us make wiser choices about what to say and when, right? Notice how you're, you know, feeling, how you're being activated. You need to notice that. And then so that you can give it some calm attention and calm that down as you're listening to the person in front of you. Reflect first. So people are more likely to listen when they feel heard. To build understanding, reflect before you respond, which is a huge, huge, huge thing to learn, is to reflect before you respond. So it's not just boom, you're, right, reacting is that you need to reflect and then respond. We try to understand, uh, sorry, try understanding. And so the more we understand one another, the easier it is to find solutions that work for everyone. So therefore establish as much mutual understanding as possible before problem solving, right? This is how I see it. Is that how you see it? I see it this way. Okay, let's see if I can see it this way, et cetera. Right? What about identify wants? Because conflict generally occurs at the level of our strategies, what we want. So the more deeply we are able to identify our needs, why we want what we want, the less conflict there is. Right? 
if I really, really want something and someone's going to say, no, you can't have that. Well, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. Um, and if you don't know what you need and you're just speaking because of it's what you're thinking at the time, then that is not necessarily identifying what you really want. Now, what you want is different than what you might need and might be different than what you might wish for, right? Emotional awareness. So being aware of our emotional supports, our ability to choose consciously how we participate in a conversation. I mean, think about it. There's some people that are great conversationalists and, you know, you'll have, you can talk to them for days, hours on end. And there are other people who have more difficulty in discussing things with us. But, you know, try also to know what your, um, your what emotions support your ability to choose consciously Um how are you going to react? How are you going to be? How are you going to participate? Take responsibility. So the more we take responsibility for our feelings, connecting them to our needs rather than to others' actions, the easier it is for us to hear us, for others to hear us, right? So taking responsibility for our feelings. A lot of times what we do when, you know, we're in a clinical setting, we'll say to people, okay, use I statements. I feel, I want, I think, I believe, et cetera, et cetera. So take responsibility. And finally is hear the need. So the more we hear others' feelings as a reflection of their needs, the easier it is to understand them without hearing blame, needing to agree, or feeling responsible for their emotions. And finally, I'm going to end our podcast today by um, mentioning an article by Barry Boyce. Um, He speaks about let yourself be bored Isn't that an interesting concept when all we think about is what to do next? So what I want you to do is I want you to think about what you're going to do to be more mindful. I want you to think about staking your claim. Stake your claim in yourself. How are you going to do that? How are you going to put it down? So that this is your space, your gold mine. Let's start there and hopefully we can dig through and find some gold nuggets together as we go on. I hope you've enjoyed it. This is Jules and I'll talk to you later.